Hi, this is Jacob in a uh, not-so-great recording place, area, whatever. Uh, before the episode starts, I would just like to clarify something regarding uh, the audio to follow. There is a prolonged segment near the middle where we discuss, uh, as we put it, the character of Neubauer played by Kenneth Toby. Uh, and this is bad research on our parts and just remembering secondary characters. We are actually referring to the character of Johnny, played by Steven Stucker. Uh, I was just going to replace it, but we end up saying the name Neubauer a number of times, and it just was not worth it. So uh, there you have it. One is a black-and-white drama that predates the disaster movie boom of the 1970s by 13 years. The other is an almost direct adaptation filtered through a comedic lens. Zero Hour and Airplane. They remade it. Hi, and welcome back to another episode of They Remade It. I'm your host, Stuart. And I'm your host, Jacob. And we're back for season four, I think we are at now, right? Yeah, it's season four. We're back. Right. A dinosaur story. It's, oh, God. <laughs> I feel like a dinosaur at this point. <laughs> Thing is aged. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, we're back. New year, new presidency, new random nonsense that's apparently going on reddit that i haven't stopped seeing all fucking day apparently oh some, yeah apparently some stuff about stock trading but, it's you know for for as much as i understand that <laughs> obviously won't go into detail on that because that's like a whole other can of worms but yeah i've been following yep. that very closely in a couple of discord channels i'm in uh, mm -hmm. and it's very uh very interesting i actually i still don't understand the stock market like at all but i feel like i understand a bit more about stocks and trading after yeah. everything that's happened today. And just a firm reminder that, God, the economy is just fake. It's just all fucking fake. <laughs> it's it's a game. People have been commenting on it for uh, quite some time. Yeah. In fact, oh, Lord. those um, that, uh, I don't remember if it's the first or the second, but one of those South Park RPGs has an entire segment of like trading in stocks and it's 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 like a whole mini game and it's just a roulette wheel <laughs> it's fun yeah everyone knows yeah. 
And it's like, and I'm just, I'm just sure that this episode is going to be immediately dated by the time it releases proper. Because like, I'm sure it'll be like, okay, we've moved on. Oh yeah, definitely. I was about to, da- <laughs> I was about to date it a bit further. Um, I just wanted oh, to go say, right ahead. I just wanted to say because we usually cover people that pass away in the end episode of the year, like the yeah. uh, that cover, but um, a few times, like uh, something I'm actually embarrassed about because I thought back on it, when Carl Reiner passed last year, we covered it in an episode uh, because we mm-hmm. had discussed him in the Ocean's Eleven episode. Uh, yeah. So, so we talked about him around the time he passed, but we did not talk about him in the end of year section. It somehow just completely skipped my notes. It, we, we, we we did talk about it, just not in the, the roundup. But uh, to further date this episode, just literally less than an hour ago before we started recording, I read that um, Cloris Leachman passed. And of course, we've covered her a couple of times on the show. She had a cameo appearance in the 79 Muppet movie, as almost everyone did. But she was also... Uh, Frau Blucher in Young Frankenstein. And, oh. Uh, yeah. Great actress know. eventually... Uh, s- great actress eventually sort of made a name, mostly appearing in uh, comedic roles. Uh, she hmm. is now gone, apparently of, of natural causes, uh, no. according to what I read. She was 94, <laughs> so... We should all be so lucky. Yes, if if only. <laughs> Anyway, let's talk about all the bullshit we've been up to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's been a been a bit of a month, but you know. Oh, crazy. Oh. Guess I could say what brief things I've watched, uh, unless you have a shorter list than I do. Um you you go ahead. I'll yeah. Okay. But like yeah, like I said, haven't watched a ton surprisingly. Um I watched that Soul movie, the Pixar movie. That uh-huh. had come out on Disney Plus, pretty good. Uh, you know, yeah, got a little, I guess, sort of heavy at times, but like, you know, whatever. Um, for as much as it went on about like, you know, souls and like soul music and everything, not a whole lot of actually soul music in it. Like, not a whole lot of jazz and everything, um, which I was kind of hoping more of, but that's just me. Right? Um, no. Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise, you know, thought it was a solid, solid movie. Yeah, pretty cute. I, I guess it, 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 so long as you're, I'll, I'll mesh my segment together with yours. Uh, just yeah. so long as you're talking about Soul, because I actually, I did watch it too. I mean, it's nice. on Disney Plus, and they aren't charging twenty nine ninety nine like they will for Raya and the Last Dragon. But and um, everything forever. <laughs> yeah, you paying for a subscription already? Well, too fucking bad. Here's a. $30 bill that's way more than you would pay if you saw it in the theater. But anyways, I saw it too, and yeah, I'll say I I liked it pretty alright. Um, I, on the show, we were definitely giving it shit beforehand, and I was not looking forward to it, because I think the trailer uh, did a really bad job of showing what the movie would be about. Obviously, a trailer shouldn't like spoil things or give away where the plot is going, but it made me think it was a completely different type of movie. I think I even said that it it reminded me of the Emoji movie, which Soul is definitely not, but the trailer made me think that it was. Uh, Yeah, a little bit. (laughs) Which is not a good thing. But, um, yeah, I I liked it. I wish there was more actual music in it. I I feel like that could have been used as sort of 
a backbone to prop it up just because, like you said, it's not only about souls, but it's about soul music. And that's sort of, I I don't know. I think they could have done more interesting things with that. Um, And I don't really like the ending. We won't spoil it because it's still fairly recent, but Mm -hmm. it's, it's more open ended than I would have liked. And with any, with any other movie, normally I would be like, that's fine. And I wouldn't care, but it felt like it was building up to a certain ending and then just chose not to do it. I don't know if you know what I'm alluding to there. Yeah, I, I get you. Like, the whole, like, again, this will go without spoiling. Like, the whole crux of the movie is, like, trying to, like, determine, like, what your oh, what your purpose in life is. Like, that's a very, that's kind of the central premise of the whole thing. And it keeps leading up like it's going to be going towards a particular ending for the main character. But it just kind of leaves it before any kind of major epiphany happens. And I think that really kind of discredits for the character because, like, so much of the time the character on screen just doesn't have as much agency as you would expect. And then at the end when you expect him to be like, okay, he's back to, you know, as things are, um, that he'd kind of, like, you know, we'd show, like, some level of, like, contemplative resolution, but it just kind of didn't. just kind of ended on a squib. (laughs) It was like, oh, okay, it's over. All right. (laughs) Well, that's like, I know... Let down. Which, like, part of me is, like, the ending I expected it to go for, and I'm sure you probably think of the same. Um, it would have been kind of cliche all the same, but still, that would have been something. It w- it would, yeah, it would have been cliched. It's just that they were, I don't know. They, they like, like we've both said, they were building up to that cliched ending, so it feels even stranger that that's not where it went. And it's not like a twist or anything. It's just, yeah. it just sort of peters out. I don't know. Yeah, no, that's, that's that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sorry. Um, <clears throat> um, as far as other movies, I'm honestly racking my brain. I can't really remember if I've watched any other major ones. TV shows, I've tried to catch back up on The Mandalorian, um, but you know, haven't gotten that far in it. Um, here recently, Hannah and I have actually started watching the show uh, Letterkenny, if you've ever heard of that one. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's a very funny Canadian kind of life like sitcom drama well not sitcom but it's kind of like one of those like in the vein of like community or uh always sunny or that whatever where it's like just this group of friends doing stupid shit <laughs> yeah we were um, we were watching some episodes of that last year uh yeah when we November. were at zach's house yeah yeah so that one's that one's been pretty funny so far um other than that though it's mostly been video games i've mostly just been Going back over and like replaying games I've either already played on my system or just bought older games, you know, that are on sale. The main one I'm getting back into Ghost of Tsushima right now, um, just because that's fun. And the, it, they had added a few things that I wanted to do the new game plus they have. Um, that and I think it was Sleeping Dogs, which is not a great game, but it's at least an interesting one. It's just, it's it's yeah. basically you're just playing you're basically just playing a fucking. Um, Oh shit! What's that director's name? Uh, John Woo. We were basically just playing a John Woo movie, the game. Um, but like you're just you're you're an undercover cop in Hong Kong, and just this whole thing where it's like you're doing shit that an undercover cop has no right to be able to get away with. <laughs> and so you know, it's just it's just kind of chaotic and fun. But uh, yeah, other than that, I haven't done a whole lot. Actually, oh yeah, and my, the big one is I've also gotten re addicted to Stardew Valley. So oh, that oh. is. 
<laughs> that is now my life. So that's one of those that's black the big holes one. that'll just always pull you in. Yep. So yeah, that's pretty much the sum of it. I'm sure I'll remember something like, like the moment we stop recording, and I'll just be like, "Fuck." But um, yeah, no, that's that's everything I can think of at the moment. All right. Hey, pretty cool. Still all the same. Yeah. What about you then? I'm sure you've got plenty. Um, I do. So part of my New Year's resolution. Uh, which I didn't mention in the other episode, but it, it's something I've reflected on. I really like to sh- just share everything I've been watching, so sometimes it turns into lists. I don't want to do that as much, so okay. I, I I watch like 15 things, but I'm not going to just list them and then talk about a few. I'll just talk about, I'll just cut to the chase and talk about a few. Uh, though the one interesting thing I will mention is I was watching uh, a, a movie from the 70s called The Other with Uta Hagen, um, and I was eating nachos that I had made at the time. I'm like, oh, this is cool. I've never seen this before. Munch, munch. And just bit down on a chip the wrong way and just fractured one of my teeth. Oh, no. Just, <laughs> just a huge so chunk so... came out in my mouth. And I was like, oh, oh, no. <laughs> I am so sorry. Uh, it's okay. Thankfully, there's no pain with it. Uh, it's it's still chipped. I have appointments with the dentist. I had to cancel today because of weather conditions. Um, yeah. So I, I'm still scheduled to get it fixed. Um, I just thought that was funny because now I permanently have that association with that movie. And I don't know if I'll <laughs> be able to watch it again. Um, <laughs> oh, oh, dear. <laughs> well, I'm very sorry. That's all right. Um, so we already talked about Soul, which was one of the big things that I wanted to touch on. So I just sort of have two more here. Uh, finally, after all this time, I had no interest in seeing it, but I finally did. I watched Toy Story 4. Oh, yeah. Um, I sort of gathered it from the conversations that we had and from the trailer, but you're right. There are too many characters in that fucking movie. They yep. really try to hammer home a lot of that. But what I will say, something that I like about the movie is I feel like it's the first one where Buzz Lightyear actually, I don't know, has some importance to the plot as a character. Like, he, he actually does things and has agency because... So, the comparison I want to use is, like, Beauty and the Beast for Disney, uh, where... At the end of the movie, the Beast transforms into his human self, but any Disney property you see after the fact, they use the Beast design, and that's mostly because that's the character that the audience sort of grew to love. And they're like, well, that's what they want to see. Give them the Beast. And for the longest time, I felt like that's kind of what they were doing with Buzz Lightyear, where it was like this character that didn't you know, the, the fun of him is that he didn't know that he was a toy. He thought everything was real, and all these other characters had to explain to him that he was an idiot. Uh, yep. And and it, it, up, into this, up until this movie, it didn't feel like any Toy Story film fully had him as an actual, like, helpful character. They always try to get him back to that position he was in in Toy Story 1. You know, in, in 2, he gets, like put in a box in Al's toy barn and he gets replaced with a copy of himself who is just like Buzz Lightyear from the first movie. And in Toy Story 3, there's a section where he gets like a factory reset that happens, right? With a comedic Spanish voice. Of course. So it it, it always felt like they weren't used... I didn't feel like they were using Buzz 
well enough. It, it felt like they didn't have any trust in the audience to like him as a regular character. Like, well, this is why they liked him in the first place. We got to get him to that point at least once. Uh, and for its credit, Toy Story 4, I think, is the first one that does not do that. Uh, and I appreciated that, a, that. That's a fair point. Had not thought about that. <laughs> I think that's the only thing that I appreciated about the movie. Obviously, besides okay. how it looks, because it looks great, you can't, I don't think you can argue that. Yep, and that's even the point that I made when I first talked about it. Yeah. <laughs> Where it's like, God damn it, this movie's pretty, and nothing else. <laughs> <laughs> There's no meat here. There's no substance. <sighs> yeah, we're literally just reusing voice lines of the now deceased Mr. Potato Head. <laughs> that was creepy. Okay, you know what was even creepier was the fact that Slinky Dog had so many lines. Because I don't remember him talking that much in Toy Story 3. Yeah, because Jim Barney had died by that died at that point, and now it's like Toy Story four. It's like, well, he's just a regular secondary character that speaks whenever we want him to speak. We'll just get a Jim Barney impersonator. It was a little strange at first. I I, I was like, what are they just stringing together old dialogue? Because he's not talking that much. Uh, but no, it's just a it's a guy that can do Jim Barney. Yeah, I think you know with the earlier movies they kind of had some level of respect for when the voice actors either weren't available or you know god forbid died and they just like those characters didn't show up anymore but now because they needed a fourth movie and they were like oh what if we bring bo peep back she's a love interest yeah 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 and i'm pretty sure that voice actress had already had died as well um or if not died it just like just wasn't part of it anymore and so like they just kind of decided eh, fuck it yeah <laughs> it's like let's bring this character back <laughs> so let's have someone else voice them let's like who, nothing is sacred who gives a fuck we're disney in the modern era yeah none of us <laughs> none of us care about any of this I, but, oh but that's a good yeah. point the other creepy part is like toy story 4 gets all of these all of these uh like toys at the very beginning that are like the cast aside toys like nobody cares about them anymore yeah. um that's why they're put in the closet and it's kind of fucked up. The people they got to voice them were like Betty White <laughs> and Mel Brooks and Carol Burke. It's yeah. like, what the fuck? That's some <laughs> deep metaphors here. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody likes you anymore, Mel Brooks. I don't want to play with you anymore. Dropping him in the trash can. I was like, what the <laughs> hell? I will say, though, that one of the other few saving graces for me was that his character's name was Meliphant Brooks. I... <laughs> Did they say that in the movie? I don't remember. It, th- they don't say it in the movie, but it's in the credits. Oh, that I did not know. That's beautiful. <laughs> yeah, that's the only thing I love about that movie. Oh, that's that's uh, good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I brought it back around. <laughs> yeah, but that's the end of our Toy Story. The third iteration, I think, of our Toy Story 4 talk. I don't think yeah, we'll be Jesus doing Christ. it again unless we do like a full episode retrospection on the series or something. I um, guess. Fuck. <laughs> Uh, the last thing I wanted to mention, this is a very brief one, uh, but me and my sister have made a tradition every year of watching really bad Christmas movies around Christmas time. And in the past, it's been like, you know, Santa Claus Conquers the Martians and Santa Claus Meets the Ice Cream Bunny and uh, a horror movie called Elves about killer elves, you know, just real nightmare stuff. Um, of course. And this past uh, Christmas... We watched a film uh, from the 80s called Santa Claus the Movie. Uh, okay. Which is sort of 
Like, it's one part the origin of Santa Claus, and another part an elf played by Dudley Moore gets disillusioned because the factory doesn't want to accept the fact that he wants to use technology to streamline making toys. So he flees to America and gets hired on by a business mogul played by John Lithgow to make a candy infused with reindeer pixie dust that makes people fly. Okay. <laughs> so, I mean... It's... Okay. <laughs> it's, I, I, have, I don't have any earthly idea what I would say to that. It's really bizarre, and it has some cringy musical sequences, but the set designs are, like, beautiful. Uh, the one reason I... Oh, wait, this is a live action? Yes, this is live action. <laughs> what the... F- uh, okay. <laughs> this, this went from, like, a 6 to a 10 in my book. Jesus Christ. Yes, this is a live action movie. <laughs> Uh, the, <laughs> wow. But out of all the things that I've watched uh, over the past month, the main reason I wanted to bring this up, do not watch the movie because it's kind of boring. But if you can find clips or if there's like if movieclips.com or the YouTube channel has clips from this movie, try to find something with John Lithgow acting because I swear to you, I swear to you, I think that Doug Walker has taken some of of John Lithgow's acting specifically from his movie, from this movie, and implemented it in things like Kick-Assy and Suburban Nights. It it is, like, identical. It's scary. It's like the the nostalgia critic in a movie. Oh, God. That's that's frightening. (laughs) Like, there's things where John Lithgow is acting nervous and he's struggling to talk, so he's, like, moving his mouth really fast, but nothing's coming out. It's like, this is just Doug Walker. <laughs> this is exactly what he does. This is what he thinks acting is. <sighs> <laughs> oh, God. If there's nothing that doesn't warm my soul on a cold winter's evening with some buttloads amount of snow outside my door, it's the just the pure reaming of that motherfucker. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Yes. But uh, You're still doing things. Yes, he's still doing things, and I know because he. I I'm cursed with this because I watched I visited that guy with the glasses dot com like ten years ago. I'm cursed to always have him in my recommendeds on YouTube. I think, and just within the past week, he did a video, a real clickbaity video on the 1970s Raggedy Ann and Andy musical. Uh, which I love because even though it's boring, it's really crazy and it has great animation. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, that that was just within the past week. He's still he's still putting out content. Just just pushing that Sisyphean rock. Yep. <laughs> yeah, you, you you've said something similar in the past. I think just in a friend group where people like that, where we were, we were talking about Seth MacFarlane at the time, where you hope that he always makes the like family guy. And I was like, what, why would you want that? Because he's like, and then you said to that, because that means he will never ever get to be able to be the great movie director. He do- so desperately thinks he is. And I'm like, <laughs> huh? And that's kind of what I feeling about Doug Walker. It's like, yeah, <laughs> I'm fine with him to continue to do this because it means he will be stuck in that pit of true irrelevance for all of time. Yeah. I, and I know to him, he will hate it, and he is in hell. 
<laughs> he's in his own personal created hell. Yes. He he has created the only thing that will gain him money, and he's going to have to keep doing it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <sighs> warms my heart. It, it warms the very cockles of my heart. <laughs> What's left of my fucking caved out so like soul cavity <laughs> uh, speaking of which i'm getting a heart transplant so i gotta end this podcast early i'm i gotta take a flight oh, oh. so J- jacob jacob for fuck's sake i for a split second thought i was like wait what <laughs> <laughs> for a solid split second i was worried about my friend god damn it i'm sorry the movie the movie's zero hour and airplane fuck off Firstly, we will discuss uh, Zero Hour from 1957, directed by Hal Bartlett. During the closing days of the Second World War, six members of his Royal Canadian Air Force Fire Squadron are killed because of a command decision made by pilot Ted Stryker, played by Dana Andrews. Years later, in civilian life in Winnipeg, Manitoba, a guilt-stricken Stryker goes through many jobs and his marriage is in trouble. Stryker arrives home, finding a note from his wife Ellen, played by Linda Darnell. She has taken their young son Joey and is leaving him, flying to Vancouver. He rushes to Winnipeg Airport to board the same flight, Cross Canada Airlines Flight 714. He asks his wife for one last chance, but Ellen says that she can no longer love a man she does not respect. The routine flight becomes deadly when stewardess Janet Turner, played by Peggy King, begins the meal service. Meat or fish are the options. When several passengers begin feeling sick, a doctor, played by Jeffrey Toon, aboard determines that there must have been something wrong with the fish. While tending to the others, including Stryker's son, the stewardess and doctor discover that both the pilot and co-pilot have also become seriously ill. Although it stays in the air on autopilot, no one is left to fly the plane. After the stewardess checks with other passengers, she determines that Stryker is the only one with flying experience, but he has not flown in ten years and has no familiarity with an aircraft of this size. Owing to dense fog on the ground obscuring the runway, Flight 714 must bypass Calgary and all other immediate airports to continue to Vancouver. Stryker's superior in the war, the tough-minded Captain Trelevin, played by Sterling Hayden, is summoned to Vancouver Airport to give him instructions about how to land the aircraft. Ellen joins her husband in the cockpit to handle the radio. Ordered to remain airborne, Stryker makes a command decision to land the airliner because passengers will die if they do not get to a hospital soon. After some dramatic trouble, he does a crash landing on the runway, saving all of the passengers and earning the respect of Ellen and Captain Trelevin. And now for Airplane 1980, directed by Jerry Zucker, David Zucker, and Jim Abrams. Uh, it's really not all that different. Uh, just imagine the description I gave for Zero Hour just now, and 
add jokes, make it funny. Um, yep. It, there's not a lot different. You know, the autopilot is an actual character, quote unquote, quote named Auto, which is an inflatable balloon. Uh, the love interest is actually a stewardess on the flight. They don't have a kid. There's a girl who needs a heart transplant. There's flashbacks. There, there's things added, but they don't really do anything to the actual plot itself. So I'm not going to go into it. And instead, I'm just going to uh, read through the cast list. So Peter Graves plays Captain Over. Lee Bryant plays Mrs. Hammond. Jonathan Banks is Gunderson. Stephen Sucker is Johnny. Frank Ashmore plays Victor Basta. Lloyd Bridges is McCroskey. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar plays Murdoch. Craig Berenson plays Paul Carey. Lorna Patterson plays Randy. Ethel Merman makes an appearance as Lieutenant Hurwitz. I only mention that due to the importance of Ethel Merman. Robert Stack plays Rex Kramer. Kenneth Toby plays Air Controller Neubauer. Julie Haggerty is Elaine, Leslie Nielsen is Dr. Rumack, and finally, Robert Hayes is the starring role, Ted Stryker. Hooray. Hooray for everything. Uh, and now, because I can't get enough of myself talking, I will go into the full circle. Okay, so we have three for this one. Uh, starting right up front, front, we have Sterling Hayden. He was Captain Martin Trelevin in 1957 Zero Hour. Uh, we also saw him as Captain Mark McCluskey in 1972's The Godfather. Oh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Don't, don't have, that's all I have to say about that. Uh, perhaps the most obvious one uh, is Ethel Merman, who makes a cameo appearance in Airplane as Lieutenant Hurwitz. Uh, and she was Miss Marcus in It's a Mad, 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 Mad World. And finally, we have James Hong, who plays the Japanese general who uh, commits seppuku in Airplane. Uh, he played Hannibal Chu in 1982's Blade Runner. And he was also Mr. Wu in 2008's The Day the Earth Stood Still. Really, really similar names there. <laughs> hmm. Hmm. Uh, but that is Hollywood exec <laughs> Hollywood producers. You know there are like other like chi Chinese last names, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, but that that does it for full circle. So, um, what are your thoughts? <laughs> yeah, take a breather. I can I can I can hear the strain. Thank um, you. Yeah, it's it's difficult to really like come up with particular thoughts about the whole situation because it's like you know, like you mentioned, these are really just the same movie but through a comedic filter, and I didn't really realize how viable of a you know process that is until looking at this and you know this is widely regarded just like one of the first major parody movies obviously there have been other ones like in the past and everything i'm sure we could find them pretty easily but this is one that is just straight up like defies all logic and sense and physics in most cases and it's just like just doing it beat for beat there's just a new joke that with absolutely new rules of the world and all this other stuff and so it's interesting to just kind of see like how balls to the wall it is with it being kind of the first of its kind um and how it's kind of it's it's hard not to respect it for it all you know like fucking it's difficult to say you know this this movie's obviously gained controversy at times just because like there's multiple moments of like not great necessarily moments of you know of racial stereotypes yeah but again like it's from the 80s it's hard to you know say that wasn't going to happen 
Um, but at the same time, it does it in such a way that still makes it seem okay in most of the cases. Um, and it's just, it's hard to really take any of those kind of supposed stereotyping seriously when this is the kind of movie where during a, what is meant to be a romantic flashback, flashback between the main character and his love interest meeting is punctuated by the fact of two Girl Scouts getting into a full-on, like, knockdown drag-out fistfight. It's, it is very strange comparing that to the very sober affair of Zero Hour as well, because it's like, wow, I didn't, because the thing with this movie for me is that both for this, the case of, you know, this, of watching it for the show and just having seen it beforehand, I had seen Airplane before seeing Zero Hour, and so I really didn't have any concept of this being in a more serious light and actually seeing it in the other way around is maybe go like, Oh yeah, I guess this is a kind of a, can be kind of a serious situation we're in. I just can't take it seriously. Yeah. <laughs> like, cause I went through the whole thing of zero hour just being like, this is just, I just can't take, this is just, is plausible for, for me for some reason. Like it, just the fact that this honestly douchebag of a guy who's, basically spent the last 10 years kind of bumming around which like obviously he has pretty severe ptsd and blames himself for you know the death of his death of his men somewhat reasonably i might add um but you know i just i can't really sympathize with him <laughs> like he does this whole thing of just like saving everyone and getting everyone down and everything but it's like this dude's not a great guy <laughs> and so like playing him as the hero doesn't make any sense whereas like in airplane you know it's clear that this dude's a doofus this dude's just done the most absurd stuff and we never truly get the exact specifications of his the nature of his ptsd because every time you see a flashback of it all uh you know planes crashing like over the footage and everything it's just shown a bunch of different plane crashes like some of them where it's like a dude in a flying costume just falls off a fucking like hill it's like (laughs) So at least in that case, it's just kind of it's played for a laugh, and it makes more sense with that because otherwise, we're meant to be rooting for a dude that's a irresponsible, b kind of a bit too fucking gung ho in basically every situation, and c simultaneously a bit of a puss. <laughs> 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 like fuck. <laughs> yeah, no, I, it's hard to argue with anything that you said. Really, uh, the. Yeah, that that's one of those interesting points that you brought up with uh, sort of the the first of its kind, in that yep. God, airplane the the way it use it uses and messes with phrases and popular idioms, just the plays the plays on words and in your expectations, you know that necessarily isn't something new. Like there there's several jokes that I could see being in like a Marx Brothers movie. Like Duck yeah. Soup or A Night at the Opera or something, uh, but the fact that it's played straight with the jokes, I think, is really where that first of its kind bit comes in. Because I can't think of anything else that I've seen from before it that does that spoofing comedy completely deadpan and straight faced. I can't. Yeah, um, that's it's it's weird that that hadn't been done before. You know. I I I anticipate. I assume that like maybe some TV shows had done it at some point. Maybe Saturday Night Live had had kind of that to a point. Um, but just seeing it on such a massive scale without the need for like a laugh track or just or live studio audience, I guess it would be in, in that case. 
it's it is impressive that they even had the gumption to do it or the fact that they were allowed to do it <laughs> right <laughs> i can't believe it because if there's there's like some straight straight deadpan moments in um oh what is that uh kentucky fried movie which i believe came out before airplane and was also you know the zucker brothers and abram um yeah well uh, they didn't direct it they wrote it i forget who directed it well they well they um, certainly had the inspiration john landis directed kentucky fried movie uh, ah. but yeah so you can see bits of that in there but it's not it's not fully realized and also kentucky fried movie is barely a whole con- coherent plot anyways it's a bunch of segments and fake commercials strung together into a movie uh but yeah airplane just it does that so well and i i sort of said it beforehand which I'm, I'm sure we'll talk a bit too, because you mentioned going the other way. Like, you can't take Zero Hour seriously. I, yeah. I'm i glad that I finally got an opportunity to watch Zero Hour, because I've seen Airplane multiple times in the past. And I'm at mm. that point where comedies rarely make me laugh, and th- that's not because I'm some badass that, oh, I've seen that before. It, it's just, I recognize it's funny. I, don't, I, I just don't audibly laugh. But I audibly laughed at multiple points in airplane after having just watched zero hour just because i recognize i finally saw it like it, it works well as a joke on its own you don't have to see zero hour first but now that i have it it almost feels like insider information that makes it funnier to me <laughs> like I'm, I'm part of the joke now yeah see and for me it's like you know it's kind of the feeling of you know to me it's like the a past version of when modern movies try to make a gritty reboot out of a really like child oriented property like transformers or battleship yeah <laughs> um both both by michael bay ironically hmm. um teenage mutant ninja turtles hmm yeah yeah hmm Anyway, <laughs> treading yeah, treading ground that you know, talk about treading new ground here, Jesus. Um, but uh, yeah, so that's kind of what it felt like for me that someone was trying to make a serious flick about a really stupid concept. <laughs> um, like you know, and I wanted to be able to to have more fun with Zero Hour and just kind of enjoy it for what it was. I, I but again, I really did just do myself a disservice with it because you know. It's not necessarily an inherently stupid premise, but the fact that it's so easy to parody and the fact that it was kind of the it became the base mark for a movie to parody, it really makes it hard to look at it without just being like, yeah, this is just kind of dumb. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Why am I here? (laughs) There's several points in Zero Hour where it's it's things that are happening. I, I can't. I honestly cannot tell if I would have thought it was stupid seeing it by itself or if I think it's stupid because I've seen Airplane already. But bits like uh, where the woman is frantically freaking out and she starts ripping at the, the 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 side of the plane next to her and her hand is all bloody. Yeah, and then yeah she, I forgot about that. And then she starts, she starts freaking out and the shaking scene happens and I on, honestly expected a bunch of people to start slapping her and it doesn't happen. And I'm like... <laughs> That just, it does, I don't know, violently shaking a screaming woman in her seat just seems stupid. And, like, it's obviously a setup for a joke. I can't imagine it 
in a serious context. Yeah. I think, and we've, and we've touched on kind of like briefly on this, like in some of the older movies we've done, but often they've been kind of comedies like in like a mad, 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 mad world Mm -hmm. um, of just seeing these performances that are really just kind of hammy. But this one really does put a very particular spotlight on it. Just kind of showing off of the fact of, yeah, movies back in the day, really, there wasn't a whole standard for, like, how people actually acted in crazy situations. Um, you know, it worked in comedies, and I think that's why a lot of those comedies have survived versus a lot of the more serious movies have very reasonably kind of fallen by the wayside in recent years. Yeah. You know, it's because it's amazing, like, how many of the movies we find just in this show alone that had earlier versions of themselves that really just didn't hold up. You know, we've often, you know, I feel like more often we've picked the recent versions of them. I know for me, well, with possible exception of like, you know, what price Hollywood. Um, but that's cause that was before movie standards. Yeah. Ooh. Um, so that, that one skirted by that one, but yeah, there's just that period from like the forties to like the like early seventies. It's just like, a lot of ham sandwiches here. <laughs> I I'll say even comedies from that period are really rough with me, which I mean, we discovered that with the nutty professor. I recognize, oh, yeah. I recognize what Jerry Lewis did for comedy. I just, I don't care for that movie. I, uh, that period from the forties to the sixties, I think I like, I, I can't even say I like sci-fi from that period, but I appreciate it. And I like horror from that period because every single horror movie from that era feels like it's a B-horror movie. Uh, and most of yeah. the time that's because it was, because a lot of those movies didn't get serious budgets. But yeah. besides that, they they do not do anything for me. Action movies, disaster movies like this one, like, yeah. Dramas, definitely dramas. Yeah. They didn't, yeah, dr- oh, man. Of course, I'm trying to think. I know we've had, with the exception, possible exception of the day the Earth stood still, that one. But then again, that was a sci-fi, and I'm kind of of the same mind as you. That sci-fi's back in like in that period, really were kind of of their time, and that's really was a great time for it because of just the you know uncertainty of the era and just like how much new technology was coming out, and so you could really just kind of have a ball with it. But with dramas and everything, it's like you know. You know, like kind of military esque drama. I well, I, I can't exactly call this a military drama, but it's like it's kind of in the same vein as something like Casablanca, where it's like you know it's kind of military adjacent. Yeah, yeah, I know um, what you mean. Yeah, it's like we've had better ones, and they've been done, and they've done really well. But it just I don't think they were able to get. I guess what this movie would be would be technically a thriller when you get right down to it. Um they really hadn't gotten many good thrillers at that point. Like the only ones, you know, like the major ones with like psycho and this was before. Yeah. This was long before jaws. What am I thinking? Oh yeah. Um, it's like, yeah my, <laughs> where, where's my brain? Yeah. Yeah. Where's my brain going? Um, I mean, hell like fucking Nosferatu and everything. If you want to go really far back, mm-hmm. um, it's just not, it's just it's just it's weird that they kind of tried it with this you know i feel like they could have had a very serious situation i would have liked to see the fucking you know a movie about that supposed mission those guys were going on in the beginning you know yeah like, i think that would have think that would have done really well and like you know having to see striker deal with the you know the loss of his men in this whole situation 
that would have been pretty interesting. It would have been more damn sight more interesting than the original Inglorious Bastards. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just it's it's difficult for me to really look at this in anything other than a comedic light. Even I, I'm I'm confident to say even if I had seen it first, I still would have found it kind of stupid. Probably, yeah. Because like you know we've seen enough of these at this point, and we we have a decent enough standard of quality that we can see bullshit when it's coming. <laughs> Pretty much. I, I mean, I guess the best thing that we can, with the exception of Airplane, the best thing that we can say for Zero Hour is that it sort of gave us the the modern disaster movie. And that's not to say they're all fantastic. But but I don't know. Like, so, oh, the guy that, the guy that directed, uh, not directed this, the guy that wrote the screenplay for this movie. What is his name? Uh, oh, no, no, no. Yeah. Um... Not the screen. Zero Hour? Because there's uh, Arthur Haley and yes, yes, yes. Bartlett. That's it. Arthur Haley. Uh, Because he came back like 10 years after the fact and wrote a book about a similar topic that then turned into Airport in like 1969 or something, which is also, you know, a disaster movie with planes. Um but, yeah. <laughs> but and I haven't seen that one, so I can't speak to airport's quality. But airport sort of started that boom in the seventies, and then we got the Poseidon Adventure and the Towering Inferno and Earthquake and all of those movies that people look back and remember as important disaster films. And that sort of spawn, and then you know you you start getting stuff like Twenty Twelve in more modern times. Um, so it, it is. I think an important important cultural piece if just the fact that it's sort of a predecessor to the movie that actually started everything. But even then, that is so sidelined. It's like tangentially connected. Yeah. (laughs) God, this movie's responsible for snakes on a plane. (laughs) Yeah, you can look at it that way, yeah. (laughs) I mean, yeah. It it has more in common with that than, like, fucking Earthquake or 2012. (laughs) Well, okay, there's there's a few airplane scenes in 2012, but still. But but something else something else I will bring up, uh, and I think this is an interesting thing. I don't want to do it on every episode, but I definitely do want to start doing it on some of them. Uh, and, and it's something that you brought us in the Aladdin episode we did last year. Um, but what is something you really don't care for in in Airplane? Ooh, because I de- um... I definitely have t- I have two things. One of which I think is an actual point of the movie and the other thing is something it kind of accidentally did. Yeah. Um I don't know. I guess the low hanging fruit is just the the racial stereotype bits, but like those aren't awful per se. Right. Like you know, none of them are done like they're all, all each one is done in such a ridiculous manner that it's like it is absent from reality. So it's kind of like that always sunny in Philadelphia kind of thing where it's like (laughs) this person doing this thing is so absent from reality that it's like, and this person is clearly just such a piece of shit that it's not really that bad. And it kind of doesn't really reflect on real people. But at the same time, it's still just like, I guess that's kind of something. Yeah. Um, I, you know, because that's a good point because something like, uh, the jive scenes, uh, hmm. with the two black gentlemen on the plane who I believe in the credits are just Jive Speaker 1 and Jive Speaker 2. Um, something like that, you start to get into territory where it's like, ah, yeah, I, I see what you're doing. And yeah. it, 
I'm not sure if I get it. But then they bring in Barbara Billingsley <laughs> to start speaking jive. And I'm like, I'm sorry. I have to laugh at this. Mrs. Cleaver yeah. is speaking jive. I can't help it. Oh, yeah, that was fantastic. <laughs> and I think like even that scene in particular kind of just barely skirts by with it. By being like, you know, it's clear that these two men are you know, well-learned and cultured people. They just have a different way of speaking. You know, the subtitles are, do is do that, in and yeah. of itself kind of poking fun at, you know, you know, um, black American dialect, but like it's done in such a way that's plus the, the addition of, you know, Billingsley who is credited <laughs> as the jive lady, which is fantastic. <laughs> um, uh, with her kind of taking part of that scene kind of like adds that kind of, you know, crossing the kind of boundary between, you know, two racial groups kind of thing. So it manages to kind of skirt by that just enough that I don't really have a problem with it. Yeah. But then again, that's not really for me to say. Um, mm. But yeah, like other than that, I'm trying to think. I, I, I'll say I'll let you go ahead and have yours because I'm sure I have something, but I, I cannot articulate it. Okay. So yeah, I have two and I'll save one for discussion later because I think it's a bit of a bigger topic because it's mm. more general. Something I have not liked about Airplane since I first saw it forever ago. I I don't care for the character of Neubauer in the film. Oh. Because... Uh, he, which one is he again? He's the only character in the movie that's kind of uh, not serious of a character. He, he is in the... He's a part of the uh, Control Tower team, I'll say... And oh, the the gay stereotype. Yeah, technically, yeah. Okay, uh, yeah. Not technically, <laughs> like, cause, kind of cause literally. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, we, we don't have to mince words. <laughs> I didn't want to like say it because of what I was saying. I didn't want it to come across as, I don't like this character uh, because of that. Right, um, right, right. No, we, I figured you wouldn't have. <laughs> yeah, I know. I just want to be careful with my words. I don't like the character because everyone in the film is supposed to be this sort of deadpan character that believes everything they say. But in comes this overly fey character who he's, he, it's like he's a trickster God from outside of the movie that like snuck <laughs> into it because he knows what he's saying is a joke and that it's supposed to be funny. And there's scenes where the end of the movie where he, like he pretends to unplug things and he looks at the camera and laughs I'm like, I don't think that belongs in this movie. And I haven't felt like that every time I see it. As soon as his character comes in, he, he has some good lines um, where, like, uh, how about some coffee? And he goes, no thanks. That's funny. Just because it's deadpan. Yeah. But then he starts making, like, Wizard of Oz references. And he starts talking about J.C. Penney's. And I don't know. It just doesn't feel like it fits in the movie. Yeah, and I get what you mean, and and plus it's even like how he ends up interacting with other characters because one of the big things about this, like like you said, isn't is along with the deadpan reactions is the ability that everyone else is still t is also taking everyone else very seriously. But even in the movie, they find him annoying. So it's like, yeah, okay. it's like it's basically like you know the difference between telling a joke and just reacting, which I think you and I have had a discussion with privately before. Yeah, I'm just like. One of the worst parts about comedy is a comedy that's just based on reactions. Mm -hmm. um, 
And that's kind of what this character is, where it's like everyone's just kind of reacting to him rather than any kind of organic, like comedic, comedic moments. Yeah, I, I think a good I think a good point of that directly going off of what you're saying is say uh, the scene. OK, so. Um, oh, oh, what is his name? Robert Stack, I think his character is holding the newspaper and he's reading. Oh. The, is that is that Robert Stack's character? I can't remember who the character was that had the newspaper. But maybe, but I, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, I can't remember which character it was, but one of one of the characters has a newspaper and he's reading the headline and he walks over to Newbar and he goes, What do you make of this? And he takes it and he's like, I can make a hat, I can make a brooch, and the character reacts with annoyance. Whereas if it was an interaction with any other character, it'd probably be like Oh, that's cool. Like, that's exactly what he was asking was for you to make something. But since it's Newbauer, he's like, that's obviously not what I wanted to know. You're being annoying. Like, imagine if in the reporter scene, they were like, all right, let's take some photos. And they start taking pictures off the wall, and then they got yelled at for doing it. Yeah. I think if they got it, yelled at for doing it, that would kind of undercut the joke style that Airplane is going for, where everyone just sort of does what they want and no one cares. Right, it's like they're breaking kayfabe is the main thing. Yeah, okay. You know much better words than I do. I mean, I only know that because it's apparently a thing from fucking wrestling, where it's like the characters that they do in like professional wrestling. That's like, and them doing all their like big like Shakespearean fucking performances is that's considered kayfabe. It's like it's Uh. an established semi-reality, I guess. It's like, you know, they're established as themselves, but they are at least influenced only to a certain degree by the outside world. And so this is the situation where it would be considered breaking that. Where it's, the rules have been set up, and this is blatantly going against sort of those rules, so it's noticeably off. Yes, I see. See, this is why you guys are probably listening to the podcast. You You like the Winnie the Pooh episode because of the art of nothing. (laughs) <laughs> uh, and you like the airplane? You're gonna like the airplane episode because of our discussion of kayfabe and its relation to the wrestling federation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, yeah. I mean, we have found without fail. I, I and this is kind of this is tangential, and if this rambles, you're, feel free to cut bits of it. Um, I have found that really, in every case, with basically no exception. Anytime we do a really non-serious movie, we end up finding a very deep core of genuine serious like criticism or just, you know, expressiveness that we can talk about just the film medium in general. And anytime we do a serious movie, with a few exceptions, obviously, um, we end up just going off on the stupidest things. Yeah. Like fucking, I'll go and, you know, I'll go and break the taboo for the year with fucking the departed. Um, just the <laughs> entire time of this critically acclaimed movie that people have lauded up and down. We just could not stop just shooting the fucking fish in the barrel with it. And it was absurd. Yeah. It <laughs> whereas, was just you know, easy. Yeah. Whereas just like, you know, with fucking, like you said, with Winnie the Pooh, I brought up the concept of the Japanese film and really just, cultural concept of ma of empty space of allowing for a scene to have its own sense in its own like space and where we are having such a significance on the on the movie that was a winnie the pooh movie (laughs) and then bringing up the idea of you know having a consistent line of logic or kayfabe in this movie it's just like wow 
Or then, like, with um, Ghost in the Shell, when we were just like, oh, this one movie's really cool with robots, but anyway, this other movie is pure dog shit. Let's stomp it until it bleeds. (laughs) (laughs) It's, yeah, it's... I do love that that's kind of what our style has kind of become, if unintentionally. But <laughs> That's one of the, the reasons that... I like doing this and like having these conversations. These are like video essays, um, except uh, they're only audio and there's minimal editing. Yeah. Well, less These are the editing. video essays. <laughs> these are the video essays. Or these are the like audio essays we wish we could have turned into our film teacher. Where it's not. Yeah. <laughs> I know for a fact. This is the kind of show where it's like, this is everything we've wanted to say on a report that we really weren't allowed to say because, like, oh, film's sacred and all this bullshit. And we came running in here, here like, actually, all the things you think are sacred aren't, and all the things you think aren't sacred are. Fuck you. <laughs> we are the counterculture of movies, damn it. <laughs> it's called having an opinion. I respect Citizen Kane, but I don't like it. It's called having a complex opinion about things that are enjoyable and all of themselves can be significant. Oh, exactly. The part of his dog shit, Winnie the Pooh movie is a pure gold. <laughs> Fuck you and your horse if you think it's not. <sighs> yeah, so I don't like Neubauer. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, Neubauer is the, the, the crux of this movie. <laughs> <laughs> or crux uh, that's not even the right word fucking i don't know weakness let's the just Achilles go with that heel, I've, used, yeah. I've, I've used basically the entirety of my film vernacular like higher level film vernacular in the last like few minutes so i'm kind of running dry <laughs> <laughs> no no all i need is an addition of mise en place and i'll have the whole fucking thing <laughs> or mise en place mise en scene mise en place is a fucking food thing <laughs> jesus christ I, i'm losing yeah, it yeah I, I know what you're saying <laughs> Yeah, I'll I'll end that so we don't we don't stay on the topic because I think we've put all into the new buyer discussion that we can. I yep. think And then some. Yes. I think for the character as he exists and as the way I think he was written, I think Kenneth Toby does a good job playing him. I just do not like the character. I wanna just put that out there too. Yeah, that that um, should go yeah, that would hopefully go without saying. <laughs> yes. It's not the actor, it's the writing. Um, I hope that you know. I, I hope that all our listeners at this point realize that we are very non-judgmental people when it gets right down to it. We just hate things that are objectively bad. <laughs> I, I just had to put that out there before all of our millions of listeners started harassing Kenneth Toby and his family on Twitter. Stop it! Put down your pitchforks. Can- we start getting canceled because we criticize the only you know non-straight character in the movie. Well, there might be another one or two. I don't know. I wasn't paying much attention. But that, but that, yeah, that that was the, that was the one made. I I have another topic for a bit later. But do you have anything that you wanted to go off of that? I'm not nothing major. I'm like I'm trying to think of like if we wanted to kind of go in the opposite direction of you know the point that you had brought up just of you know mm-hmm. what things you just don't care for for airplane. If there's any kind of because we've clearly kind of like shown our hand a little early on this one, mostly just because the difference of these movies is so blatant that it's hard to really do kind of brass tack tack comparisons mm-hmm. um but honestly if there was like any kind of particular parts that you really lauded zero hour for like if there's anything in particular that you're just like yes this should be in more movies honestly that's really like just as a whole that's really rough just because mm. it's so of it's so of that time I don't know that it did anything revolutionary that I can think of or something that's not used a lot because it just reminds me of 
every other film of its kind that I've seen from that period. It, just going off of things I like, I mean, I think that the Doctor character is is good. He was played by Jeffrey yeah. Toon. I think that that's a good performance. Most of the other performances in the movie are pretty wooden, I think. Yeah. Sterling Hayden's always a delight, but just that's just because I've seen, yeah, you yeah. know, just because I've seen Dr. Strangelove. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, Jack the Ripper. Which, which ironically is another movie whose source, source material was actually very serious, but we can't cover it because it was a book. Yeah, exa- yeah exactly. Um, <laughs> but I will say, I think the one thing for me is, I think for the shit I've given him, and I continue to like, will continue to give that character shit just for his placement in this movie. The character of Ted Stryker, I actually do kind of find interesting, at least with his background. Like, I think you could have done a lot more with a very tortured character like that who's gone through genuine, like, understandably crazy levels of PTSD. Um, and just the guilt that he's following with. I think there could have been a better movie with him. I think there could have been a better movie of him trying to kind of reconcile himself as a leader and just as a, you know, as a effective person in general. But just the idea of having him, like just basically lounge around for like a decade and kind of fuck around. Like I say fuck around as if like he hadn't been through something traumatic, but like it's really just established like for a full decade, this guy has really just not been able to like even approach functionality. And it's kind of hard to see any kind of reason to root for him by the end, just without he's been acting how much he's kind of been chauvinistic with his wife and everything. And it's just like, I really think that could have been done better in a different movie than this i think if like like i said if there had been a movie about like his time in the war and like seeing him kind of react to this and like some further situation other than like this very civilian setting that he's found himself in now i think it would have done really well for me but as it stands i just don't think he fits for this movie that that's i mean that's fair yeah. I like that reading. It's not, I, I won't say, yeah, I won't say it's a ama- he, he's an amazing guy. It's like I think he'd be good as a side character, maybe, but um, maybe as like a mentor type character that we kind of learn more about later on. Mm-hmm. But you know, kind of a Mr. Miyagi, if you will, if it were a, if it were a movie about flying a plane rather than being a young, you know, California teen. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think I think that's kind of the height of it for me. Because, like, you know, that introduction, like, it, it, the difference with this one and the airplane um, that you, like, is briefly touched on is, like, the intro of Zero Hour actually shows the the details of, you know, Ted Stryker and his losing six men on a raid in Germany. And it's actually very heavy. And I really, it's just, it's such a full 180 from watching Airplane um, of just seeing this very genuinely terrible thing that's happened. And I think that's just like that had a lot of emotional weight that it really just didn't get to take advantage of. Yeah, oh, you know what? That's actually a really good point. I I will say for the movie, I uh, I I liked the juxtaposition of the opening with the rest of the film, especially like you especially like you said the emotional weight that it carries, and that and that could be good, you know. It, relation for the character for us to actually see the character go through that uh you mentioned near the beginning of the episode that you would have liked to see that mission as its own separate movie 
Um, and it might have been more interesting. And I tend to agree with you. But also, mm. just in this movie itself, I really wish that that had just been a bit of an extended segment. You know, just an additional 10 to 15 minutes with the actual characters doing that so you can see it. Because instead, what we get is a bunch of scenes of it happening, but a narrator, this completely, like, separate from everything narrator character, um, voiced by William Conrad, which is interesting, but yeah, I don't know that it, it feels so segmented. And I think that takes away from some of the value of it. it. It makes it seem like you're watching a radio play. Yeah, that's a very good way of putting it. Actually. I hadn't thought about that. Um, yeah, there was a lot of a shocking amount of show. Don't tell. Um, or, or tell don't show in the beginning there and then kind of followed up by a very kind of very weak you know show don't tell as it goes on because like you know we're told of these things and clearly are meant to be like oh, you are meant to feel bad for this main character feel bad now it's like <laughs> they really hadn't again it, but i say that like i'm about to i was about to say it's like again like back then dramas hadn't exactly come up with greater ways to kind of establish these sort of things but i'm like at the same time fucking you're able to get you like psycho is able to do it and the establishment of norman bates's state of mind just throughout the course of the movie is fucking is fucking masterful um it's just it's kind of inexcusable at a certain point that that this is kind of the route they ended up taking with that because they could have done a whole lot more the fact that they had the resources to have those scenes in the beginning of those planes straight up fucking crashing which i know was like practical effects and probably just basic models and everything to get it done but still yeah and then just kind of not really doing much with it you know for any kind of for as much weight as it's meant to have hell what price hollywood and a star is born managed to i mean especially what price hollywood managed to show characters who have in, in intense emotional states and in in one instance a character that has a full-on mental breakdown and they do it yep. fantastically and both of those are 20 to 30 years before this yeah it's just yeah this is definitely this is definitely one of those movies that if it hadn't been chosen to become a parody would definitely been, would have been those ones kind of lost to the annals of time because there are plenty of those and i'm sure yeah. we could find a thousand that were just kind of, you know, of their day, kind of okay, just a thing, and we have that nowadays, just like, you know, movies like whatever next Liam Neeson flick is going to happen. Um, it's just like, oh, you know, it's just a pretty generic action or thriller or drama or whatever, and then it just kind of moves on. But the fact that it is now tied with the immediately superior airplane and just at least in the public consciousness, if nothing else makes it kind of it has done it no favors right i guess i yeah I, I don't think it's done the movie itself any favors just because we can we see even more so how ineffectual some of what it was doing what it was trying to do is uh but at the very least i guess we can say that without it and of course you know airport which i have again i've read the airplane takes some elements of airport i don't know what those are because i have not seen airport but the majority of airplane is just zero hour so we, at the very least we wouldn't have it 
without yeah. it. Which I I mean I guess is the best that we can sort of put on zero hour at the end of the day. Yeah, which is something. <laughs> it is something at the very least. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's kind of the extent of the bigger points I had. Uh, you mentioned having uh, one for yourself as well. I just have one more topic of discussion before we can just we before we can start going out of the episode. But um, right, this how do you feel about Leslie Nielsen as a comedic actor? Hmm, I am. I would say mixed because, like, it's not like I've seen particularly bad performances by him. I think he's a. I think as far as a comedic actor, just on the surface. Pretty good, you know. I think he's. I think he's funny. It's kind of cool having him as a presence in this. I think the first movie I'd actually seen him in, to my memory, was actually a completely was actually very recent by comparison. Um, I think it was just called Superhero Movie, and it was just a parody of the oh, Sam yeah. Raimi Spider Man. That was um, the oh, that was the one with uh, um, Drake Bell, right? Correct. In yeah. Wade role. Yeah. Which is uh, like I, even thinking back on that movie, I think it was it's actually really funny, <laughs> um, and. Um, you know, Leslie Nielsen was meant to play the Uncle Ben stand-in in that movie. Um, mm-hmm. I thought he was a pretty good, big highlight for it, and he, he has a very, he has that very now iconic deadpan style of comedy that obviously was like, I don't know his earlier work, but it, you know, if this is kind of his first case of doing that in a movie, um, definitely he set the bar for that style of you know parody and comedy. Um. Yeah, so I don't have anything major to say about him. I can't really say I've seen him in that many things. I still need to see, like, whatever that one, like, police comedy uh, uh, thing is. <clears> Naked Gun. In. Naked Gun, thank you. Because I see I see that gif all the time. Like, nothing to see here with all, like, the explosions in the background. So I'm like, I imagine that's pretty funny. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's like, it's kind of those things, like, I don't really have anything in particular to say. He's never really given a deep, lasting impression like some other comedic actors have. Right. Okay. I Yeah, my main thing was this, This again, a lot of callbacks to the Aladdin episode for some reason. But <laughs> um, this is one of those instances where I really, really love Leslie Nielsen's performance in Airplane. Uh, just mm-hmm. the performance he gives. Um, and I like him in the Naked Gun movies, too. And, of course, beforehand, uh, before Airplane, Airplane is his first comedic movie. He was in a ton of stuff in just pure serious roles. You know, hmm. just, you know, like you get Robert Stack in this and uh, Peter Graves of Biography. And, you know, people like <laughs> that who are just sort of straight-faced saying these lines. It, it, there's a weird issue there just because I've seen a ton of comedies that came after airplane and the naked gun trilogy that had leslie nielsen in a starring role and they i would say that 90 percent of them are not even that they don't hold up they're just bad and it's it's strange because they they airplane primarily and then the naked gun movies sort of put leslie nielsen in this position of People really like what I'm doing. He was the takeaway star of Airplane, which is why he started getting these roles. People loved him as the doctor. Uh, Yeah. But you get things like Spy Hard and 2001 A Space Travesty and (laughs) Repossessed, that Exorcist parody. 
And the, even Mel Brooks cast him as the lead role in Dracula Dead and Loving It. And none of those movies are any good. And I think it's because at a certain point, you we crossed the threshold with Leslie Nielsen where he realized that people thought he was funny. And so he started trying to be funnier, which is weird. Because I've read interviews of him following Airplane where he comments on the... the uh, Shirley, you can't be serious, that scene. He's like, and I just said it. That was the delivery. Don't call me Shirley. And then the audience is all looking around like, what did he just say? And then uproarious laughter. And you can like just hear it click in his head where it's like, I know what I'm doing now. And I think at that moment, he sort of lost some of that comedic spark because he started trying to be funnier. And I, I was wanting to know if you had any input on that, but... Uh, it, it appears you have not seen a lot of Leslie Nielsen's uh, work. <laughs> Unfortunately, no. Um, yeah, no, like I've, I just, I've kind of avoided most older comedies I've found, which like, you know, in this case with good reason, because like, and I've mentioned on the show before that I tend to kind of avoid the movies that have been kind of known to be flops, whereas you have dove into them with, you know, you know, both feet and hands. Um, yeah. But, so yeah, I've definitely missed out on most of his filmography, as it turns out. Um, yeah, I've seen him in random clips here and there, but as far as extensive movies, yeah, and it's pretty much just this and superhero movie. Right. So, but, you know, that is, but I do kind of get what you mean. Like, I even thinking back on, like, superhero movie, he does have a very different bearing than he does. I think he holds on to it probably a bit better in that one than maybe some of his older ones or uh, some of his other ones other than airplane um mostly because i just i think that he seems like a very similar performance in both of them but i can definitely see it he definitely gesticulates more to the camera yeah he <laughs> um, he, he acts it up yeah like the the whole you know the beauty of you know the doctor and airplane definitely was just his very stoic kind of performance throughout the whole situation which obviously we've you know as we've said multiple times at this point it's kind of the whole point of the movie but yeah so many other parody movies i think man he actually does kind of make a case for like how parody movies have kind of gone in general um that so many other parody movies like all the ones that it's like oh you know uh uh, the it's like scary movies and like like the ones that are like parodies of scream which is itself a parody technically um but like going throughout all these things where they've clearly kind of lost the way from the originals with airplane where they really start being more like attempting to be a comedy, which, you know, there is nothing harder. There is nothing worse than a comedy that is trying to be funny and is evidently not funny. Yeah. Um, which I know that is among one of the more pretentious things I've ever fucking said. And I apologize for that. But like my point being that, um, the moment something is, so confident of its ability that it's you can see it like practically winking to camera and often actually winking to camera that it's lost something very deep and part that, that should have been kind of part of it from the beginning um an airplane definitely like you know obviously it's very much the base setter of it and it's one of those rare cases where really it is kind of the both the original and kind of the pinnacle you know, with movies for you know for all the credit we give them, I mean, hell, with we have that with Zero Hour, where 
being the original is rarely the pinnacle of it. But the fact of the matter is that Airplane is so widely regarded as just the parody movie that all other ones just kind of fall by the wayside. And kind of Leslie Nielsen is kind of unintentionally acted as kind of a physical, as like a singular focus of that. Right. Because, yeah, he, he pretty much carried it and he was in so many of them. And you actually mentioned it, like, obviously superhero movie, but a scary movie, that franchise... I think Scary Movie 4 was like the comeback for Leslie Nielsen for a bit. Because wasn't yeah. he the president in the fourth Scary Movie? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... I th- I th- yeah, yeah, it would have been the president. Yeah, so that was sort of... So I guess that sort of resurrected him as well. Because I, I think there was a long period of time where he wasn't doing anything. Uh, at least those types of roles. Um Right. And I, I, I do want to say, I said a lot of those movies are dog shit. As with anything, especially bad movies since I actively seek them, I think there's a little kernel of something to like in a lot of things. Dracula didn't loving it. He has a great performance by Mel Brooks, who shows up in every Mel Brooks film. Um, he plays Van Helsing, and I, I like that performance. And... <laughs> um, uh, Spy Hard is a parody of James Bond movies, and as a whole, it kind of sucks, but it does have a parody of James Bond intro sequences, and it's sung by uh, Weird Al Yankovic, and I think that's funny. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I don't want to completely malign these things, because there's probably some people that like bits of them. There might even be some people that like them entirely. That's I mean, you know, okay. we've, we've rarely been influ- let ourselves be influenced by people who have particular opinions on things we distinctly disagree with. <laughs> right. <laughs> we've said some pretty, shall we say, hot takes on this show. I, 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 <laughs> I imagine if we had even a slightly wider audience, I feel like we'd get a lot more hate. <laughs> yeah. Because, like, we, we, we tend to kind of go against the grain in a lot of cases. Not all of them, mind you, but mm-hmm. many of them. Yeah, like yeah, I don't I don't care about pulling punches when it comes to my opinion of like The Departed or The Nutty Professor, like we've mentioned. But yeah. Some sometimes when they're movies where it's like you're kicking them when they're down, nobody likes them. I try to be a bit more careful. It's like, well, maybe somebody does like this, and it's not like it was like, it's like four people saw it in the theater. That's a good point. <laughs> I don't know. I... Yeah, we yeah, we really do like yeah, that the, uh, really is just going back to our existence as the counterculture for movie opinions. Oh god. I don't Truly, want to be we are... counterculture. <laughs> I will consider this, dude. We're counterculture in a sense that Doug Walker is culture. I'm fine with that. Alrighty, cool. Because, <laughs> 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 like, like I feel like if the more I think about this show, the more I think we are truly everything that Doug Walker is not. Like, you know, we have deeper, complex opinions. We are not very American-centric. We have, you know, dignity and pride. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, fucking, yeah, just fucking coming out of the gate swinging on this one. (laughs) What a start to the new year. (laughs) Hell yeah, baby, let's go. Fuck everything about, like, you know, just having a neutral seat before. We're going confrontational or nothing. (laughs) Oh Christ! We're gonna get if this if this blows up any more than it has. We're we're gonna get some hate. Oh whatever. <laughs> are there fan are there Doug Walker fanboys anymore anymore? Oh, you know there. Are. Go into the comments on that newest Raggedy Ann and Andy video. I oh, guarantee it. Oh boy, <laughs> there's there's gotta oh. be, or else those videos wouldn't still be pulling in like hundreds of thousands of views. 
Yeah, fair. Well, if, if you are out there, you know, rabid fanboys, I welcome you with open arms. Stick around for a while. Develop some complex opinions. I'm sure it will not kill you. It, it will appreciate Tr- it, I'm sure. So, airplane, yeah. <laughs> yeah, sorry. I'm, I, I, I've, I've been guilty of waffling a lot on this one. I apologize. Um, no, I was just gonna. I was just gonna say. I mean, airplane. I, I think. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. I, oh yeah, absolutely. That goes without saying. That's the, that's the superior of the two. <laughs> yeah, like, for, like, but at the same time, I feel like almost on this one, I'm almost willing to kind of not necessarily give my typical binary answer because it is just so difficult to praise Zero Hour for really anything in particular. That this is a very interesting. This might be kind of one of our more unique remakes in a sense that. The original was bad, and the sequel and the remake of it was very good. But it's because it truly was something evolving in the movie industry, which is a very rare thing when you get right down to it. It is very rare to see such a direct moment of evolution with movies, because you know we've had lots of things where it's going over time where. You know, the last significant one I would say with that would have been like like what price Hollywood and um, you know, A Star Is Born, simply because of how the culture of Hollywood had changed between the two. Mm-hmm. Um, just the existence of the film board and everything. Um, and seeing it again here, it's actually very telling of just kind of not even necessarily the changing of the times, but really just the ability for like just showing kind of like the creativity that was becoming on display. It was really showing the next generation of filmmakers kind of coming into play because it really was showing that like, Oh, this is the stuff people grew up with. And they realized back then, Hey, this was kind of crap too. What if we just made it funny? Um, and so I won't give it the general, the usual situation of, Oh, this is clearly better. Oh, this is clearly worse. It's like objectively it is like airplane is objectively better, but I think it's, more than the fact that it has so clearly just shown the change between early Hollywood, but what I think would be honestly the end of early Hollywood and the beginning of modern Hollywood. Um, maybe not necessarily modern Hollywood, I guess like the eighties into like the, from the seventies into like, I guess the early two thousands are their own particular era. Um, but it's just, it's very telling kind of seeing the differences here. It's like, we rarely get to have as much of a cultural shift with Hollywood itself versus just like content in the movies. Um, so yeah, I think for that reason, it's just, it's worthy of praise just for that. I just, it's it's just, it's hard to say anything in particular about Zero Hour beyond it's just, it's existence as kind of like the end of a particular era more than anything. Yeah. No, I, Cause it, I even, agree. Yeah, yeah, because even in it, you could see the the telltale signs of like you know it being the first real disaster movie. It, even in it, you can see the first telltale signs of kind of moving forward into this very out of this very kind of not even necessarily conservative form of Hollywood. Definitely one that doesn't take the so many risks. Um, ones that isn't willing to just kind of literally go on screen and have a dude commit seppuku and another dude almost commit self immolation for a joke. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's just, it's very interesting to just kind of see them compared like this. And I think, you know, that's kind of the point that we had going into the show, I guess. A lot of it was us just being like, God, there's a lot of fucking remakes coming out. What if we complain about that? Um, 
<laughs> but I think at its core, it's still just showing how culture has changed, especially in, in American filmmaking. No, I, I agree. That's a perfect that's a perfect point. I mean, it's interesting just to see where the priorities of the films lay, too. And that's completely ignoring comedy, if you want yeah. to ignore comedy. Because even then, the, the way that character studies are handled in both of these films is completely different. Whereas there's importance placed on the character of Ted Stryker in Zero Hour. But it gets to a point where it's almost an afterthought, where it's like, okay, you just want to see the plane not crash. And as soon as that happens, like, it's whiplash, the end of that movie. I was like, wait, it's over? There's no, like, epilogue to this? It's just like, <laughs> landed the plane. da 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 da, da. You know? Yeah, I, that, I, I almost forgot about that part. I, I was kind of just kind of checked out by then. <laughs> and even, even for a comedy, I think Airplane puts, even though it's for a joke, they put more stock into the backstories and the actual interpersonal interactions between characters. Just because they put... It, not even because it's in necessarily done better because they play it for laughs, but there's more focus on it, just period, I think. Um, yeah. So it's, it is interesting to see that shift, and I, I have to agree with you. I When I picked this, I knew, just because I, I love Airplane so much, I knew for a fact that I would come out of this enjoying Airplane more. The reason I picked it is, well, one, I hadn't seen Zero Hour, but two, because I really felt it would be an interesting discussion to take something that I had read was almost a direct remake with literally like just entire dialogues and conversations just lifted from the script and then completely morphed into a different genre. And I thought that, that I thought that was interesting. So, um, yeah, the, I think this has been enlightening. Changing of the guard and all we had to do was, you know, show people just beating the shit out of a lady going crazy, you know, poison some people with some fish and all the other bear absurd bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, and, you know, we had to have a, we, we went from a, an ex football star to an ex, to a current basketball star for the cameo character. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. I, I will say, I do think I have one last uh, praise for um, zero hour that I really haven't given the true credit for. Okay. The fact, the fact that the, the, um, cameo character's nickname, real life nickname is Crazy Legs. Yes, that I saw. Fucking, that, <laughs> that fucks so hard. <laughs> did you go, dude? Did you go into his IMDb back his IMD, IMDb film list? Well, I am now. Hang on, because I did, <laughs> and one of the movies he's in is literally called Crazy Legs. I have to watch it. Is it a biopic? Did he get his what nickname the from the movie? I, I'm I think flabbergasted. He seems to play himself in it. It might be a biopic. I have got to watch that movie and report back on the next episode. Oh my god, yeah. Holy damn. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I think that's the final final praise I'll give to the movie. Because like, damn if that's not a kick-ass name. <laughs> it's, it's badass. Uh, yeah. So, um... Uh, Here's something we usually do. You got? Do you have any recommendations based on anything that we've talked about in the episode relating to I mean, these two films? I mean, shit. Like, I was trying to like going into this. I was trying to think of any kind of disaster movies centered on a plane that are actually good, and I think I came up blank. Um, <laughs> you know what, Con uh, yeah, Air? No. You know what? Fuck it, Con Air. <laughs> <laughs> or Air Force <laughs> One. <laughs> yeah. 
fucking yeah, yeah like I'll say Con Air just because it's absurd and I absolutely adore it. <laughs> um, <laughs> other than that, like I don't know, disaster movies maybe. I think like I honestly liked 2012 a lot more than most people did. I think it's just kind of silly, and I think it's just seeing these people go through these truly death-defying situations is honestly hilarious i think it, um i think it looks good and as i a think set if you piece. yeah i need to rewatch it i just remember not liking any of the characters oh yeah no the characters are dog shit um you know good old john cusack you know <laughs> continuing his continuing his continu- like roller coaster of a career that is sometimes of genuinely fantastic quality and other times of god why are you on screen <laughs> <laughs> get out of here not everything can be that one, like, about the haunted hotel room, whose name I forget now. Um, I think it's, like, 1308 or something. I, I don't know. do not remember. Um, but, yeah, that's kind of the extent of it. These are very particular styles of movies, and, you know, there's a few airplane-centered thrillers, but n- n- not many that are actually really worth it. Fuck it, snakes on a plane. How's that? You want to you want to go suffer for an evening? Go watch snakes on a fucking plane. That's all I got. If unless you had anything, uh, I I mean I just had a couple. I I did. I wanted to highlight Sterling Hayden, and you actually you ripped the rug out right out from under me earlier in the show. But <laughs> if if you haven't, go watch Doctor Strangelove. Uh, it's it's a really great movie, and a lot of people recognize it as a great film. It's it's it constantly in lists. But I think a lot of people, um, just in general, they tend to, I don't know, in the grand scheme of comedies, they forget how funny it is mm-hmm. as a movie. And a, and a lot of times people people forget people forget that it's a Stanley Kubrick movie, too. Including me, apparently. Holy shit. <laughs> people completely forget. You know, they always think of all his other stuff. They think of, you know, The Shining is probably the first one that comes to most people's minds. 2001 is the, the one for me. Yeah, and like eyes wide shut and things like that. But uh, Clockwork Orange, yeah, definitely Clockwork Orange. People don't people don't ever think of Doctor Strangelove as a Kubrick film. Um, I think it's just like it's so of itself, and like there's some movies that are just so truly of their own merit that it's kind of it's sometimes they almost com- they transcend their directors. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> at times i mean that's that's kind of me with jaws like with like i I almost forget that it's a steelberg thing yeah no i yeah I, I hear that i do this one hesitantly because not only do i not remember the entirety of the film but also given given airplane i don't know how much of it holds up socially if you know what i mean but there i remember enjoying most of kentucky fried movie there is a prolonged one of the longer segments it it takes up i think almost like a third of the movie is like a kung fu segment and i don't remember how it's handled so i i (laughs) i say this i say this very carefully but i i do think there are elements of that movie that are still really funny and i would uh I, I would say at least go and look up some clips from that. And, you know, disaster movies, go watch The Poseidon Adventure. It's not a good movie. It's not. <laughs> but it has it has great performances by, like, Gene Hackman and Shelley Winters. Uh, Ernest Borgnine is in it. Um, it it's, 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 it's a lot of fun. Basically, you know, a ship flips upside down, 
And it's a group of individuals played by all these character actors trying to reach the top of the ship, which is technically the bottom of the ship. And it's it's a lot of fun. Um, Fair enough. <laughs> sounds like a good esca- it sounds like a good escape room. Oh yeah. Oh, there should be a Poseidon Adventure escape room. Seriously. TM t- trademarked. <laughs> <laughs> it's ours now. It's in, it's in verbal it's like, contract. Yeah. <laughs> fuck off. You heard it here first, and never again. <laughs> Oh, God. <laughs> we'll do anything for a buck. <laughs> I need bucks. Please. Uh, who doesn't? Apparently Reddit these days. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Full circle. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> I knew I'd bring it home. I'm getting dizzy. Oh, God. Yeah. All I right. haven't eaten. <laughs> I guess I will go into the socials then really quick. <clears throat> before Before I starve to death. Uh, so go ahead and uh, follow us on any of your podcasting platforms, iTunes, uh, Google Play, Podbase, Breaker, iHeartRadio, Spotify. We're on all of the Stitcher, I, I love. Uh, we're on all of those platforms. Of, co- of course, our host is still Anchor.fm. Fantastic hosts there. Love you, Anchor. Huh? I said love you, Anchor. Oh, yeah. Love you, Anchor. Yeah, I just didn't hear. <laughs> yeah, no, I slurred that one a bit. And like I said, starving. C- continue. <laughs> They're great. They make it really easy to upload these and to fill out all the data. And they export it to all the platforms for us, which is nice. Um, and, uh, you know, leave us reviews, likes, hearts, stars, whatever. And uh, let us know what you think. We uh, have they remade it at gmail.com. Send us your suggestions, opinions, things that you think we can improve on, anything you want. And, of course, follow us at, it, uh, at they remade it on uh Instagram, yeah, that's it. And it remade. That's the one. And at it remade on Twitter for updates about the show, full circle diagrams, posters of movies that we have covered, the films that we've watched, and possible potential future episodes. Uh, and all of that and more is on social media. The year of our Lord, twenty twenty one. We are barreling forward, <laughs> kicking, kicking it off right, and we're full speed ahead. Full speed ahead, right into fucking Doug Walker's face, apparently. <laughs> we're we're oh, coming Lord. for your subs, motherfucker. <laughs> One at a time, literally. Yeah, very slowly. Twenty twenty one, the fall of a titan. <laughs> slowly. <laughs> God, if by the end of twenty twenty one, if there has been a genuine like lowering of Doug Walker's significance in the world, I will honestly eat my hat. My. <laughs> It's like if if we have that kind of power, my God! I think I would have to. I'd saute it and uh, and some zest. God, I'm hungry. Yeah, me too. <laughs> we gotta stop doing this before we eat. <laughs> I just I don't want to get the hiccups, man. <laughs> All right, fair. Ironically, I get the hiccups when I'm hungry, so I'm honestly surprised it hasn't happened. Oh, oh, yeah, lucky. Yeah. Anyway, what were we doing? <laughs> I, I think we were leaving. <laughs> uh, we, we, we were leaving people off on our little tangential moment of us starving to death. Yes. <laughs> well, as always, I am your starving host, Stuart. Uh, and I am uh, your other host, Jacob. And I really picked the wrong day to start <laughs> podcasting. <laughs> Oh God! I, I try to I try to find a line from Zero Hour to put into that too, but nah, fuck it. Oh well, who cares? <laughs> <laughs> Peace out. Love you, everybody. Bye.
Got to stay up there till we get a break in the weather. Listen, Trelevin, I'm coming in. Do you hear me? I'm coming in right now. In front of him, the bewildering array of instruments that blur before his frantic eyes. Beside him, the woman who had once loved him. And behind him, a plane load of frantic passengers. Ted, we're falling, Ted, we're falling! 